Pastor Peter comes up, I just thought I'd give him a little bit of an intro. Um, I've I've known of and known Pastor Peter through different ways since I've been quite young. So I think Pastor Peter actually knew my younger brother Adam first. That would be correct. And so um, that was um, before I was even married. So I was years and years ago. Um, and um, Pastor Peter was in the South um, Brisbane district where I was. I first started getting involved in the church uh, at Oxley. And so um, I've had sort of a different run-ins with, with Pastor Peter, like good run-ins, not bad run-ins. Um, that's probably not the best term to use, but um, over the years and... Um, um, Pastor Peter is a great teacher, has been involved in teaching um, Bible college courses over many years and he's up this weekend involved in some training uh, down at Yapoon and um, it's a blessing that we could have him here with us. I think the last time I saw Pastor Peter, he was at high school camp 2018 or 2019. Okay, I was there with you in 2019. So that year I went, oh great, like... Um, I'm not the oldest one there, and um, and 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 then Pastor Peter didn't go this year, and so like it was my bones that were aching and groaning all loudly, all by themselves. But um, he has a passion for uh, just really serving and ministering any way he can, and so um, I'd like to welcome you up and, um, and to to share with us today. I just thought I'd take a moment to pray for you before you started. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. We, we thank you that we have this opportunity to hear from this man of God who has served you faithfully over the years. Um, I pray that you use him mightily today to, to challenge us, to live for you, to know you, and to, to walk obediently with you. And so be upon him today as he shares your word with us. Amen. Thank you for your kind words of welcome, Pastor Keith, and it's good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this for a little while now, and uh, I've been um, here with Pastor Don. We were here on Thursday night, and uh, we've been having some sessions down at uh, the Yapoon Church, and after Monday, after tomorrow, we'll be heading up a bit further north to Serena and uh, doing some meetings there in Serena and Mackay and uh, possibly some other places as well. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you and to be uh, contributing in some small way, hopefully, to the expansion of God's kingdom. And uh, I do pray that what I share this morning will be an encouragement and a strength to, to every one of us. Friends, my theme this morning is faith and joy no matter what. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your uh, electronic device, they seem to be more common now than, uh, than Bibles these days. But um, if you have that, I'd like you to have them open at uh, the prophet Habakkuk, uh, chapters 1 and 2, and I'll be saying a little bit about the final chapter as well before the message ends. But my text is, focused on, is found in chapter 1, verse 13, where the prophet is saying to the Lord, your eyes are too holy to look at evil and you cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. So why are you silent while they destroy people who are, much, who are more righteous than they are? Now, 
I think all of us remember reading about the reaction of uh, the Apostle Thomas after the other disciples kept telling him that they'd seen the risen Jesus. You remember what Thomas said? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Rightly or wrongly, he has come to be known as Doubting Thomas. In the same way, I would suggest the prophet Habakkuk has been called the Doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. <clears throat> if you've ever read uh, the other minor prophets, and uh, I suggest that it's not a part of the Bible that many people go to these days, you know, if you want to know where the minor, minor prophets are, look for the cleanest pages in your Bible. <laughs> but um, if you have ever read amongst the, the so-called minor prophets, you'll notice that Habakkuk is a little bit different. Uh, his prophecy is not typical of the other so-called minor prophets, but rather it's a dialogue between himself and God. It portrays a man who believes and yet has genuine misgivings. So in this message this morning, I want to highlight three qualities of faith that shine brightly throughout the book of Habakkuk. The prophet displays, first of all, a questioning faith. You, you might have gathered that from the reading that Jimmy brought to us this morning from the uh, 11 verses that he read. As our text shows, he's perplexed and his faith is tested by what he sees happening all around him. So listen again to his first complaint from chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And I'm reading from a slightly different version from the one that uh, Jim uh, read from. It's from the Good News Bible. And this is what he says. <clears throat> o Lord, how long must I call for help before you listen, before you save us from violence? How can you endure to look on such wrongdoing? Destruction? and violence are all around me, with fighting and quarrelling everywhere. The law is weak and useless, and justice is never done. Evil people get the better of the righteous, and so justice is perverted. Sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? Doesn't, does that not have a strangely modern ring to it? <laughs> it seems to me it does. In other words, what the prophet is saying is, Lord, for how long will you let this rampant lawlessness go on unchecked and unpunished? Habakkuk, you'll notice, was not afraid to confess frankly his bewilderment at God's apparent inaction. But his questioning was from a standpoint of initial faith. He took his complaint honestly and openly to God and then waited for the Lord's answer. The Lord's answer was not long in coming. Look with me, if you will, at verses 5 to 9. The Lord says, Keep watching the nations around you, and you will be astonished at what you see. I'm going to do something that you will not believe when you hear about it. I'm bringing the Babylonians to power, those fierce, restless people. They are marching out across the world to conquer other lands. They spread fear and terror, and in their pride they are a law to themselves. Their armies advance in violent conquest and everyone is terrified as they approach. Their captives are as numerous as the grains of sand. Now you might notice that Habakkuk receives no rebuke from God for his frankness. God 
doesn't seem to mind when we bring our questions to him. In his reply, God announces that he's raising up the Babylonians who would be the, the superpower of, of the ancient world. Their armies are fierce and they despise all who stand in their way. Already they're wreaking destruction on surrounding nations, but now they will be used against God's people as his agent of punishment. This is the thing that the people of Judah will not believe when they hear about it, verse 5, because to them it will seem incredible that God would use such an unlikely agent. Now, for Habakkuk, the Lord's answer poses a second question. And so we read on in verses 12 to 16, same chapter, Lord, my God and protector, you've chosen the Babylonians and made them strong so that they can punish us. But how can you stand these treacherous evil men? Your eyes are too holy to look at evil and you cannot stand the sight of people who, who, people who do wrong. So why are you silent while they destroy people who are more righteous than they are? The Babylonians catch people with hooks as though they were fish. They drag them off in nets and shout for joy over their catch. They even worship their nets and offer sacrifices to them because their nets provide them with the best of everything. In other words, the prophet is saying, how can a holy God use such cruel and idolatrous agents as the Babylonians? Why them of all people? The agents of punishment are even worse than those they're sent to punish. They treat their enemies as a fisherman treats his catch. They venerate their weapons of destruction. And the prophet asks, will this also go on forever? And so we see Habakkuk is expressing his concerns and no doubt the concerns of his fellow Judeans, as well as reporting the Lord's responses. He didn't hesitate to address his questions to God and God answered him. As the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 6, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So friends, let us not be afraid of the kind of faith that asks questions. You read through some of the Psalms, you'll hear the same note being sounded. Lord, where are you? <laughs> what have you been doing lately? And, and these kinds of sentiments are being expressed. So the first kind of faith that we see being expressed here is a questioning faith. But the second thing to notice about Habakkuk is that he also had a persevering faith. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb my watchtower and wait to see what the Lord will tell me to say and what answer he will give to my complaint. This verse reflects his determination to wait for the Lord's answer regardless of how long it takes. And in due course, the Lord gives him the following instructions, which are found in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> Write down clearly on clay tablets what I reveal to you, so that it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing, because it is not yet time for it to come true. But the time is coming quickly, and what I show you will come true. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place. It will not be delayed. The prophet is assured that God's revelation will come when the time is right. However long it takes, it will come. The prophet is learning something about what faith means. It means believing 
that God's timing is always right. Now, I suggest to you that that's not an easy lesson for us to learn, that God's timing is always right. We live in an instant kind of age which wants things done yesterday, you know. Even the microwave doesn't cook our food as quickly as we would like it to cook. <clears throat> so, it's not an easy lesson for us to learn. The Christian writer and social commentator, Oz Guinness, tells about how he and his wife were waiting in the casualty department of a busy hospital. They were struck by the change in the way people waited. Recent arrivals were alert and eager, almost impatient. They sat up every time a name was called out. But gradually, they became like the rest who'd been there much longer. Resigned and staring blankly, those who had been there longest sometimes even missed, even when their names were being called out. You see, friends, waiting does something to us, it, but it tells us something as well. It, it shows us what our relationship is to the person or event we're waiting for. Now, some people can keep us waiting for hours and we, we really don't mind too much. But others, well, <laughs> that's a different story. But the issue really is this. What do we think of God when he keeps us waiting? Well, he can use those waiting times to show us what our relationship with him is like and perhaps even to refine our faith. Waiting has always been, it, it is and always has been a stern test of faith. At the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says, to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. And from this, we can deduce that there's often a tension in believing as a Christian. The tension arises because faith is stretched between God's promise and its fulfillment. And the best biblical example I can think of is good old Abraham. Remember him? Both here, he and Sarah were well past the age for having children, and yet God had promised them an heir. Do you know, long, do you know how long they had to wait? 25 years. 25 years were to pass before that promise was fulfilled in the way that God intended now, if you, read between the, if you read in the early chapters of Genesis, you'll see that they did try to give God a helping hand at one point. Uh, it didn't work out so well. 25 years, that's a long time to persevere in faith. You see, friends, faith has to live in the interim period between God's promise and its fulfillment. God has spoken and he will act. Christ has come once and he will come again. He's promised that. However long the waiting takes, it's really only the interval between the lightning bolt and the thunder. Habakkuk was assured that God's revelation would surely come. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place and it will not be delayed. 
Friends, that is the stance of a faith that perseveres. Verse 4 goes on to record God's answer to Habakkuk. The Hebrew text of the first line is a bit obscure, but the combination of warning and assurance is clear. Here's how the Good News Bible renders verse 4. This is the message. Those who are evil will not survive, but those who are righteous will live because they are faithful to God. God's answer has less to do with international relations than with the individual's destiny. The unrighteous, those who are puffed up with their own importance, are destined for condemnation and destruction. The righteous, on the other hand, will live through whatever lies ahead because of their faithfulness to God. For the believer, ultimate disaster is never the end of the story. Don't you find that encouraging? The NIV renders the second line of verse 4 this way, but the righteous will live by his faith. And the Apostle Paul develops this great theme in his letter to the Romans and also in his letter to the Galatians. In Romans he writes, the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. It's through faith from beginning to end. As the scripture says, the person who is put right with God through faith will live. The scripture to which he refers is, of course, this verse from Habakkuk. And it was Martin Luther's rediscovery of this truth that we're put right with God through faith, not by trying to measure up to God's standards, that paved the way for the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Not the labours of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. A firm grasp of this truth would lead many Christians into their full inheritance as God's children. It's not self-effort. It's receiving with the open hand of faith what God is offering to us. So we've talked about a questioning faith, a persevering faith, but I want to end on the note of triumph. Finally, Habakkuk displays a triumphant faith. His book begins with a complaint, but ends with the, with the expression of a triumphant faith that is, is unmatched anywhere else in the, New in the Old Testament. As he looked about him, he was perplexed and outraged by the injustices he saw. But as he waited upon God from his watchtower, he, he found himself able to rejoice. Indeed, the watchtower became a vantage point from which he could see more clearly and feel more keenly the anomalies and tragedies that stagger people's faith. We live in a challenging age when people's faith is often challenged by circumstances, by adverse uh, things that happen in our lives. But the eternal perspective rebukes our impatience and teaches us the secret of a triumphant faith, God is in control. Those are good words to remember, friends. God is in control. He may be invisible, but he's not indifferent. He may be invisible, but he's not indifferent. He cares. The lesson of history is that the righteous live and right ultimately prevails. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of that in these days. 
through all the convulsions that rack our world, God is working his purpose out and he has his appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Let me close with a story. Clovis Chapel, one of America's most beloved Methodist preachers of the 20th century, tells the story of a tenant farmer in Texas whose cotton crop was ravaged by drought. He said to Chapel, you know what I said as I looked at that parched and useless crop? I said, Lord, I thought you were going to take care of me this year through this cotton. Evidently, you have some other plan. Friends, where we cannot trace the hand of God, we can still trust the heart of God. Here was a man who could have joined the prophet Habakkuk in the song with which his book concludes. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Wow. Now, I wonder if the Apostle Paul had this passage in mind when he wrote to the Philippians from his prison cell, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Friends, God is worthy of our trust and our praise no matter what. Think about those closing words of Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do we want a faith like that? It's not a fair weather faith. But in this chaotic, topsy-turvy world, it's the only faith worth having. Let me pray with you. O oh God, our Father, your thoughts and plans are so much higher than ours. We confess that your ways often seem so counterintuitive and perplexing to us. But where we cannot trace your hand, help us to trust your heart. We know that you love us with an everlasting love, a costly, redemptive love that came to full expression in the giving of your own dear Son to be our Saviour and Lord. Grant us, we pray, the bifocals of faith that see the despair and the need of the hour, but also see further on the patience of our God working out his plan in the world he has made. Even when things look bad, help us to find our chief joy and delight in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 